0: We like the acoustics in the bathroom so much that we have decided (laughs) to record in the public restroom of the Port Authority. To the Zero Stars Podcast, a podcast about video games and memes. May my name is Bob. And my name is Matt. And we're going to talk about the hottest things on the internet memes. Yeah, what meme do you want to talk about? I want you to explain Tide Pods to me because I do not understand what is happening with this Tide Pods thing. And I don't really care to look it up, but I feel like you, as a friend <laughs> um, and confidant, can explain to me. As is is an activity that I've just been engaging in casually, where I consume laundry detergent. Is that actually like breaking big now? Um, What's going on?
1: It's, the funny thing is that by the time we are talking, actually, right now, as of like about five days ago, this ceased to be much of a meme anymore. Nobody, nobody. I don't think anybody's talking about Todd Pod, Tide Pods anymore. Um, I think Tide do, Pods. Tide Pods. It's a very hard Tide thing pods. to say.
0: Tide Pods. Tide Pods.
1: Tide pods. Um. I, the entire thing started actually years ago. This has been going on for a while ever since Tide Pods came out. Okay, you know what Tide Pod is, right?
0: A Tide Pod is like the little packet of detergent that I guess you don't like pouring things, so you use them. I don't really understand yeah, why. It's essentially
1: it's u- easier to carry a Tide Pod than it is to carry a big uh, like jug of detergent, especially if you're a lazy person or a college student.
0: That actually makes a lot of um, sense, and maybe I should get into Tide Pods.
1: Yeah, actually, your laundry is pretty far away. Yeah, it is. From your apartment. So, yeah, you'd probably want to get into Tide Pods, but not in the way that America has been recently. Okay. So, the Tide Pods have been around for a while. They're, like, they're blue and orange, and I guess, like, they kind of look like a candy or, like, those, like, ice pops that your parents used to give you that were, like, brilliant blue colors. Those things are good. Yeah. I mean, they're really, like, the end... Product of whenever people started making candy look like something you should not actually eat based on its color, <laughs> like scheme.
0: antifreeze. Yeah, yeah.
1: So, um, people have been talking about how Tide Pods look like candy for a while. Uh, it's not exactly been a meme though, it's just been kind of like a joke that occasionally appears. Right. Recently, it reached meme status as people were like making a lot more jokes about it, and it and then this kind of escalated to a degree in which. Um, people were making videos on YouTube where they were pretending to eat Tide Pods. Okay. So once you have something on YouTube where someone is pretending to do something, the next logical step, if you want to get the views, is to actually do it. Right.
0: There's really no in-between state.
1: So people started, like, actually eating Tide Pods. Consuming a Tide Pod. Physically biting into oh. and, and, like, letting the, you know, laundry like gargling the detergent not even gargling i think most of them were just i haven't watched any of these videos i the media has just like beaten this dead horse over and over again both like the mainstream media and the and like the internet because it is now like inverted on itself and the fact that people are actually eating Tide Pods uh-huh. has become a meme unto itself. I mean
0: that is insane. It people is insane. should not eat Tide Pods. Um,
1: I think that they like Tide has like has like actually reached out and said like via Twitter and said in a very winking, memey way, like please don't eat our Tide Pods. Like, they should
0: say that. Honestly, it probably should say that on the box if it doesn't already.
1: Oh, I think that it already does. Okay. Um, the people have talked about how there was an Onion article about this from three years ago, <laughs> because kind of like the Simpsons, the Onion just like predicts all of the disturbing and upsetting things that's going to happen in The Onion in just future. understands that people are idiots? Well, the really upsetting thing is that it was an op-ed in the Onion written by a three-year-old, <laughs> or rather written from the perspective of a three-year-old. Right. The Onion could not have predicted that actually it would be like young men and women and teenagers who would be consuming Tide Pods. How many views could we get?
0: if Zero Stars started a YouTube channel and we ate Tide Pods? Or is it
1: just so dead that we wouldn't get anything? More than we get now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> More than we currently have, fewer than we might have if we had done this, like, three weeks ago. Okay. But, I mean, people have been, like, putting Tide Pods on pizza and then baking the pizza and then taking pictures, and et cetera, like that. It's, it's, that it seems like really, a waste of a good pizza. It's no, I think it's no longer cool to actually eat Tide Pods. I think people have realized that they're literally poisonous to your body in every conceivable way. I would expect that. Um, so, yeah, we'll see if, like, the milk jug whatever that was, challenge comes back. Did you ever oh, do that when man. you were in high school? I never
0: did it, but I remember I was at a volleyball camp, and these dudes down the hall all did it, mm-hmm. and then they were just puking into a trash can. And I just remember thinking, I don't understand any of this. Oh, I kind of get it. Why? What's, what's the joy of it?
1: I don't even, I mean, I like milk. I don't know how to explain it. I don't even like milk. I never did it. I had a friend who actually completed it, who did That's it and impossible. did not puke. That's not true. He did it. Your
0: friend's a liar.
1: I was there. Oh, no, you're a liar. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, in any case, um, yeah, I think that, like, this is just, like, probably maybe also Darwinism 101. So we'll see.
0: Right. Because certain finches, their beaks develop in a way that allows them to puncture the tide pod, pod. <laughs> and consume it. <laughs>
1: Um, but yeah, I think like the national me- news media like kind of caught up with it. Yeah. And eventually the CDC had issued a statement um, because people were apparently going to the hospital.
0: Oh, I mean, if you eat a Tide Pod, I think you're going to the hospital. Yeah. Though there's always that thing on like my strange addiction, and it's always just like, I eat powdered laundry detergent.
1: Oh, there's definitely. So like it seems like one, you can do that one for a while. In 500 people can probably digest a Tide Pod and be like better than they've ever been (laughs) (laughs) and essentially reached nine thousand. right um super saiyan (laughs) yeah just super saiyan um all right anyway that's the tide pod story any other memes you want to quiz me on
0: no i I, i'm away i'm up on the rest of the internet it was just that pocket that i didn't get (laughs) um so now that we've cleaned that out uh i think it's time to talk about other news that happened this week is With our news hour. All right, so we're now back to video games. We're going to talk about video games. Okay. Uh, and actually, it's been a serious, hard-hitting, heavy-hitting news week.
1: So, i curious. I guess I didn't all notice right. all the heaviness.
0: Number one, Microsoft wants to be game Netflix. Didn't they want to be already? Uh, but they actually are doing it now. This is actually kind of insane. So, okay, right now, Microsoft Game Pass allows you to pay 10 bucks a month, and it lets you access a downloadable library of games, generally including older Xbox games, like Xbox original games, 360 games. This is already
1: being GameNetflix. This exists. Yeah.
0: It is. They already are
1: games Netflix.
0: So sort of. But here's where it gets different. Up until this point, these have been older games, right? Mm -hmm. And they're available for you. You can download them. You play them. They're not streamed to you like the PlayStation Now or whatever that thing's called. Um, This is like you, while you're paying for this, are able to download these games as though you own them. At this point, they're now saying that their first-party titles will now come to this service day and date with release. Okay. So, for 10 bucks a month, the day that Crackdown 3, Sea of Thieves, or State of Decay 2 comes out, you will be able to play those games <laughs> if you want to. <laughs> Big if. But, it, let's imagine that this was like a Forza game or something else that you actually cared about. That'd be pretty exciting. That's kind of insane. Like... Basically, Microsoft is saying, give us 10 bucks a month. You could play all three of those games in a month, and Microsoft is out $180, assuming you would have otherwise had to pay 60 bucks each time for that.
1: But historically, the gamble is worth it on Microsoft's part. If we look at how these things tend to... I mean, I've been a Netflix subscriber for about a decade now. Exactly. And I, you know, regardless of how often I've actually used it.
0: Yeah, but that's... And yeah. I think that that's where this gets really crazy is that everybody else has sort of thought about doing this and it seems like a or like steam is very well situated to try this right yeah but nobody else is actually pushing that and particularly with the element where it's their first party games that's the move that netflix made that really took it over the edge right because when it was just dvds broadly or whatever or even just streaming netflix is relying on other organizations to give them content
1: and now it's a content creator
0: now everything on there is a Netflix original, and they just don't even need anybody else.
1: Yeah, well, as as witnessed by Disney going their own way, right? But but they, but they don't need them, which is the same thing with Disney. Disney's doing the same thing. If they release a streaming streaming service, then they have a monopoly on right, pretty much everything that isn't Netflix or or a Hulu original or whatever. The um, I mean, this is certainly interesting. Uh, the question always was, though. Netflix took a gamble in creating their own their own content, and it turned out that a lot of their content was good enough that people stuck around. Xbox has been creating its own content for quite a while, and we know the quality of the Xbox content ahead of time.
0: That's true. Though at the same time, I think if they were to invest harder, they could turn it around. And when I think about the other pro products like in the Microsoft stable, and we're gonna get to this a little bit later with like a different news gears. item. Yeah. Well, I think about Gears. I think about Halo. I think about the things that they had that used to drive their console sales. Yeah. You imagine those on this service coming out day and date. That's a pretty big deal. If they really want to do this, right, and if they view this as the future of the Xbox and as sort of part and parcel of the experience of owning an Xbox, I think it's feasible that they reinvest harder into the first party games. Which is really where their failing has been is that they just kind of stopped trying.
1: That's a good point. It might allow them. I mean, it, we'll see if it allows them the, the cash to do that. Um, since they were canceling games for such a long yeah period of time, that it's streak. But I mean, this. I mean, it's, it seems interesting. It's kind of cool. I'm down. I, I'm it's down definitely with the
0: a. Se- <laughs> Ooh, ah, ah, ah. It's definitely a serious move within the business of games. And so, what I was thinking about with this is does this actually mean that games will change the way that they are in the same way that free to play games have altered significantly the way that games are structured? I think that this is going to be a further instance of that where you think about something like sitcoms were 22 minutes because they had to be 22 minutes because they were running in a 30 minute block with ads. And then Netflix happened. And now it's like, it's a 40 minute episode of Arrested Development. Like the rules don't apply and you're able to do weird stuff. And For instance, like this new Migos album, right? Migos, rap group, culture, bad and bougie. They have a new record out. Yeah, It's literally designed to game Spotify. It's 24 tracks long, and it's released as both an album and a Spotify playlist that's just designed to loop. And all the songs are designed to be Spotify singles. Like Spotify has significantly changed the way that artists make music. And everybody's putting the hooks within the first two seconds because the assumption is it's on a playlist and they need to grab you. It's like different than the way that it was during that time when music was really album oriented. Uh, And so the question is but but to think about this, like will games sort of turn into that where they're just sort of these lackadaisical, slack very long things, like, I don't know, a destiny. And you're just subscribed to the service to get them all.
1: But I mean well, it seems to me that if anything was going to happen, when you increase your access, it's the opposite of when we were kids and we got $50 for Christmas and we could buy one game or, you know, et cetera. It's if you have access to all of them, then the games need to be able to, again, hook you a lot like the Migos album, like almost immediately. Yeah. It's going to be much more difficult. (sighs) But I don't know what exactly that looks like. Um, I I think that it's going to be, I feel like I already do this and it disgusts me, but where I scroll through a list of games and wonder what I want to play.
0: Yeah. And I mean, that's definitely the Netflix experience, right? Sometimes I think the most fun I have on Netflix
1: is just flipping
0: through Netflix and wondering what I'm going to watch. I don't
1: enjoy this at all. I love it. I I hate it because I inevitably end up wasting time wondering what to watch and then I choose something and it's not satisfying. You regret it. I always regret it. That's
0: why it's more fun to look
1: um but no it's more fun to not do either and to maybe take a piece of physical media and slide it into your into your disc reader and then just actually sit down and commit to something that you have maybe invested in a physical copy of
0: it's a good point those Mannheim steamroller eight tracks (laughs) they never let me down i
1: still have some eight tracks (laughs) <laughs> um not that we're my own to begin with but that i couldn't nothing has ever made you sound older I c- yeah, than
0: i still have, I have some, some th- eight tracks
1: i did say that as though like eight tracks were something that people were buying when i was born in
0: <laughs> current media that's like well what else will play in this chevy Caprice?
1: <laughs> uh um i just couldn't let my parents throw them out i get for it for some reason what, uh, what hot bangers do you have on eight tracks Ooh, lots of moody blues <laughs> yeah um nights and the ghosts of their day yeah. the moody blues nights and blue caprice <laughs> um anyway i think that like this does not make me feel good personally because uh, i have never thought that like an overabundance of choice led to um, meaningful interactions with media but that's just that's my personal take
0: are you a spotify subscriber
1: Mm, I have um, an account at work.
0: Do you pay for Spotify? Oh, God, no. Yeah, I do not pay for Spotify either, and I continue to buy records. So I do, too. Right, and so
1: but I, also don't I don't think we're the target market
0: for the future. Oh,
1: sir- Oh, God, no, not at all. Did you hear what I just said about 8-Tracks? <laughs> <laughs> this summer, I started investing in cassettes again. You
0: did. You went kind of hard in cassettes. Yeah. I don't even have a cassette player. Yeah, that,
1: I don't really understand the cassette thing, but, um, but you know, I think their that own. I I enjoy owning physical media in a way that... Uh, I think you do, too, to a degree, although I th- we'll probably get into this later as well.
0: I use time. all of it, though.
1: Oh, I use all of mine, too. But you
0: can't use any of the cassettes. I look at
1: them. I hold them. <laughs> I feel them. Okay. And I'll buy a stereo at some point. I do
0: like the, the like rattle sound of like opening
1: the cassette It's box. everything about like the actual physical... When's the last time most people opened a cassette box? Or case, whatever you want to I call it. I don't know. In a very... I mean... What you and I both enjoy is the physical act of, of holding media, I yeah. think, and engaging with it tactically. Yes, And the feeling of opening a cassette case is so weirdly divine, perhaps for nostalgic reasons for me.
0: I think so. I have a very like clear sense memories because my yeah. car in high school didn't have a, a CD player. So I, I oh, had, really? I had, you had a
1: cassette player in your car. Yeah, and so I, I
0: would get a lot of cassettes really cheap, because you could get, like, I got Green Day's Dookie on cassette, or, like, yeah. I have the Smashing Pumpkins 33 single on cassette, because they were so inexpensive.
1: They were super inexpensive. I mean, one of my favorite activities to do, because I also had a cassette player, and I had a friend who had a Jeep, and she had a cassette player, too, and I remember one nice. time we went to a, a thrift store up in, like, the middle of nowhere in upstate New York, and we bought this cassette that was just labeled Party Mix 77. Oh. And we, we exit the thrift store, get in the Jeep, put it on. And Party Mix 77 is not a mix of party music. It is, which we really should have tipped us off because people didn't call things mixes back then. Uh-huh. It is literally a recording of a party. someone just put like a recorder down let it run and people were at the party would occasionally just come up and have conversations in front of it like they knew it was there
0: oh that's so so awesome it was just a
1: recording it was one of the the coolest things ever that is the most pre-internet
0: but also internet-y things i've ever heard it's
1: the most physical media thing yeah that's great you don't do that with digital now you sit down and decide i want to record a podcast because i know a few things about video games and (laughs) here we are
0: and then it quickly has revealed that you know nothing Nothing.
1: (laughs) all right speaking
0: about things we don't know at all (laughs) goodbye Mitomo. we hardly knew ye (laughs) um so Mitomo was nintendo's first foray into mobile it was an app that let you create a me on your phone and then like take pictures of it this came out in 2016. <laughs> you look like I am speaking French or something. I have never heard of this. This came out two years ago, and in May it will be gone forever. What? I had two questions. Uh, the first one was, Matt, did you ever download Metomo? Seems like a no. No, <laughs> hard no. Uh, I did not either. I kind of want to now,
1: unfortunately.
0: Yeah, uh, it had microtransactions. Don't worry, they've Ooh. shut that down though, so you can't make a terrible mistake. <laughs> <laughs> um, but more importantly, Mies. I forgot about Miis, dude. You can make a Mii on the Switch. Have you oh, made yeah. a me on the Switch? Um, yeah, I did for Mario Kart. Wow. I'm really surprised. It actually looks a lot like me. It's weird. I mean, the me is actually a great characterization of... I mean, uh, it's caric- effective. Caricaturization, I suppose. It's a
1: very effective combination of, of like variables that you can change to really capture. It's really it's, neat. They really chose like the exact right proportions and i agree and like the the options for like different noses
0: it's extremely nintendo because it's very well executed but
1: confusing yeah <laughs> maybe like like well executed aesthetically and the rest of it is just a mess
0: <laughs> and also there's just this persistent question of
1: but why and none of it connects to your other devices well so. especially not now yeah that
0: Me's on the phone will all soon be dead so wait you could take pictures of them not was, in like an
1: AR sort of way, right? Well, you couldn't like project them into an environment.
0: I am not a hundred percent sure. I don't believe so. Although I will say that's a pretty good application of AR.
1: Yeah. Oh, that would be awesome. But uh, I also it seems like something Nintendo. I remember when the 3DS came yes, out. Yes, the that AR, AR games thing. on the 3DS. Are those were phenomenal. So cool. I remember playing those for the first time. And I was like, "Why is any everybody not just talking about this? Well, like, this alone is like mind-bogglingly cool."
0: What's What's so weird about that is that finally now you know you can get an iPhone that can do that, right? Like, all the, all of the new iPhones, like the 6S and up, can all yeah. do that without having the card on the ground, which is really impressive. But nobody talks about the fact that the 3DS is, like, a defunct platform, and it was doing this yes. when it came out, and that's In, like, insane. 2012, it yeah. was doing this. It uh, was... It, I, that shocking. That
1: like, the future, and then quickly turned into the past that no one remembered. Right. Super weird.
0: Um, but, yeah, so... Uh, Oh, everybody pour one out for Mitomo. Uh what do we got here? Okay, PUBG, you've heard of it. Uh Player uh, Unknowns Battlegrounds. Yes, yes. Okay, so they're riding the coveted Zero Stars bump. Uh because we <laughs> talked about them. And uh as a result, I assume this is directly correlated, they have four million players.
1: Holy so, shit. since we
0: last recorded, they Wait, put on, on,
1: a, on the Xbox. On bone. Okay.
0: They put on a million players in the time since we last talked about Man, it. Man, they are swole. They made $30 million
1: in the last two weeks. Is Microsoft immediately going to walk back their whole Netflix streaming so thing? Just this go, is, we don't need to do it anymore, guys. We're so,
0: <laughs> I literally have written here. I mean, obviously, this isn't going anywhere, right? Like, yeah. this thing's a phenomenon. To me, Microsoft needs to purchase them. And they need to make this the flagship thing on their fucking game well, you Netflix. Gotta, you have to
1: imagine that they have pitched this to, what is it called? Deep Blue Hole? Blue Hole. God. Blue Hole. <laughs> 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 who, who signed off I on that? I think that they're
0: in South Korea. Oh. Uh, so I think it might be a language thing. I don't know. Oh. Uh, it's weird. But in, in still all have seriousness, a team. <laughs> this should so blatantly be an exclusive. If I am at Microsoft, I. They write their own check. Like, they, I say, how much do you want? We're fucking Microsoft. And yeah. then we buy it. In the same way that they paid $2 billion for Minecraft. Like, if they own Minecraft and this game, they have cornered streaming. This is, these are the things people stream. And they just own these games and that are... And they just
1: need to make them exclusive to specific streaming platform. And they're and then perennial they re- revenue generators. Yeah.
0: It's crazy. Like, this game, it's taken off. And if I'm Microsoft, I'm sweating the day that it jumps to the PS4.
1: <laughs> I I wonder how much they would like maybe Blue Hole asked for something or maybe Blue Hole's just said no. That's certainly
0: it is in Blue Hole's interest if they just want to continue making that money yeah. to put it everywhere they can. But if I'm Microsoft,
1: I just say like, what do you want? How much money do you need? How much do you want? How much does any one person need how much My, is player unknown <laughs> yeah what does player unknown want because i remember that uh he's got to be so fucking depressed at this point the
0: minecraft guy at one point there's some tweet from no, two n- years notch niche notch like two years NAC? before they got <laughs> <laughs> i NAC, love the idea creator of NAC, NAC's like i am made of many different particles <laughs> what if there was a game that allowed you to stack particles um but there's some tweet where like two years before they got purchased, he said, a lot of people have been asking like, what my price is to get bought, and it's $2 billion. So, if you've got $2 billion, and then, like, two years later, Microsoft paid him $2 billion.
1: I mean, and fair enough. That dude does not seem like a happy camper. <laughs> no, he's a bad dude. Also, yeah.
0: he likes to wear, like, a fedora or a trilby or whatever the stupid hat is, so...
1: Yeah, <coughs> he's a deeply unhappy person.
0: We're gonna close out the news, Matt, with BioWare's Anthem
1: delayed into
0: 2018.
1: I think everybody predicted this. They spent all of 2016 creating that video, of <laughs> yes. FMV video that they. I don't think was that cable.
0: was FMV. I think that no, was no. It wasn't.
1: It was in Engine, but that was one of the most tightly controlled, like. So ugh. this is a vertical slice video that they showed
0: uh, at E3 2017. Of this game this is Bioware's newest property Anthem it's a new IP as we'd say in the industry Um, and a vertical slice is something for those that don't know that you're forced to make when you're developing a video game where your uh, corporate overlords go so what's this game gonna be and you make a like 10 minute slice of everything the game will be so it's like I'm in the hub world and then I go down to the planet and I kill these aliens and I Oh, there's a platforming section, and that's it. And it will be all the things a game contains, but you'll just do them all for about 30 seconds to demonstrate that that's a thing. And there's really no game around it. You're just demonstrating conceptually what this would be for about 10 minutes of a player's time. And
1: they showed a video that was very much that at E3 and it was very impressive. It was the most like epitomized vertical slice I've seen since BioShock Infinite's vert- vertical slice.
0: Yes, it was extremely reminiscent of that BioShock yes, Infinite in
1: which you kind demo. of felt like this is incredibly impressive and ha- and 50% real. <laughs> it's
0: like walking down the main street of main street at Disneyland. Yeah. Where you know that if you look at it a little too long, you're like, the proportions on this yeah. thing is
1: this isn't real. Like you just push it down and if it you will want fall it over.
0: Yeah, it's all it's all clearly fake. So this is based around a story, uh I mean, bio uh Bioware announced this, that yep. they were delaying it. But Jason Shrier, the Schreier, uh fan of the podcast and, and friend of the podcast, <laughs> Jason Schreier, um, he wrote this article uh that's really good, just about the development of Anthem and how it really was sideways for a time there. But now all of BioWare is kind of focused on
1: getting this thing out the door. BioWare, who had previously made Mass Effect... um, Knights of the Old Republic. Knights of the Old Republic. They still currently, supposedly, are working on a Dragon Age and uh, some other new IP, maybe? I can't remember. I don't think that they...
0: It sounds like the they're all hands on deck for this and that yeah. really the studio hangs in the balance because the latest mass effect was not very good. And, you know, the founders of Bioware, uh the doctors, because originally they were like a medical engineering company or yeah. something. Bioware. Um, but the doctors left years ago. So they've kind of been a little bit rudderless, I feel. And It's weird because in the past I would have said, "Well, it's a Bioware game; it's definitely going to be good, like no matter what." Mm -hmm. Uh, And I have none of that now.
1: But here's the issue with this too: is that the kind of game this is, based on the vertical slice, is that it's a third-person shooter, shared-world shooter like Destiny or
0: Monster Hunter,
1: but more persistent. So, let's look at, if you look at Destiny, you look at Monster Hunter, you even look at something like um, that Tom Clancy's game, The Division. These kind of like shared world shooters. What do do they all have in common? Monster Hunter is very carefully designed animation priority action adventure. Mm -hmm. Destiny is made by fucking Bungie. Who know how to make shooting feel good, even when they ruin it with like tons of numbers? Numbers. Yeah, and even sponges. even when the game
0: is bad, it does feel really it feels good really to shoot, good to shoot in that game.
1: And even the guys who made the division, I assume that they are the people who have worked on games like uh, Rainbow Six and Ghost Recon, and like those games are a very particular kind of feel. Feels pretty good to shoot. Ubisoft what? has a style. Ubisoft has a style. What. What kind of shooting have we had previously in Bioware games? You've had Mass Effect's like fucked up, like does not feel good to do anything at all, except maybe push a stick forward a little bit.
0: It feels good to talk in
1: Mass Effect. It feels good to talk in Mass Effect. Or you have like, you have Dragon Age where you literally just hold down a button the entire time. Yeah. And so this is why, and this has been raised on, I think that, I didn't read that article, but I think Jason Schreier probably talks about this in that. Because I've heard like people talking about this already, and it's so this is not a, a new a new take. Um, we're like, what what reason do we have to believe that this is going to feel any good to play? What we can assume is that maybe there will be kind of like a vaguely interesting story with lots of different fascinating races. Because like, what does Bioware do well? It represents different, it builds a world. It builds a world and it represents like different kinds of. Um, whether it's ethnicities or or literal species, like in that world, and makes them dynamic and interesting, and gives them lore that's actually like relatively well designed and well written. Yeah, this is, they're not building a game that supports what they're good at, which is sort of the interesting thing.
0: That is a very good point, and it is one of those things that feels. I don't want to think that studios can only do the things that they're known for. Yeah, right? I agree. I want to believe that id can turn around tomorrow and and say, we built a story-based RPG that's a walking simulator. Yeah.
1: Like I want to believe that that's possible. Actually, id could make a really fucking sweet walking simulator. Doom 3 <laughs> makes that clear. <laughs> Whether they could pull off an RPG, like a long-form story-based RPG. I mean, most, yeah. most RPG companies can't even make a good RPG. <laughs> right. So.
0: Uh, Yeah, I want to believe, though, that studios can do that and that, you know, they can meld the things that they've previously been good at with new stuff. I want to think that you can do that. But history says no. At the same time, I get the sense that there's a lot of people working on this game. And I, you know, it's funny, I feel like every time I read about Anthem, there's like a constitutional mandate that says that if you're a journalist writing about Anthem, you have to say ambitious in the first sentence, <laughs> uh, which it, I guess it looks ambitious. I mean, it definitely looks like I would expect a modern video game to look in 2018. Like it doesn't yeah. it doesn't strike me as so insane because it seems like a combination of things I've seen in a lot of other games pushed hard
1: you know it's, it's what i expect well what is the i mean maybe we might be missing some of the information but is there like a, a like larger conceit in which like you are traveling to multiple worlds like in a, I, in I a no man's don't sky know. i mean yeah th- i don't know about that either but that's like when i think ambitious these days with regards to video games i don't think of visuals anthem certainly looks real good yeah. based on that vertical slice. if it runs if it runs like that <laughs> If it runs like that, like, I mean, that's that's phenomenal looking. But that's not what I think of when I think of Ambitious anymore. I think of, like, No Man's Sky. Like, doing weird, mathematically unlikely kind of... I don't know. Yeah. I,
0: I, I really don't know what that game is. I'm not excited or not excited for it. Yeah. I expected it to get delayed. But it does feel like news just because there was a time when BioWare was such a juggernaut that EA, who owns BioWare was renaming other studios to BioWare yeah. that had nothing to do with BioWare. They were like, you make a command and conquer game, you used to be called something else, but now you're BioWare Tulsa or whatever. <laughs> and it was like this really stupid thing. And then it was that coincided directly with BioWare's quality imploding across the board and their name losing all of the cachet it had.
1: Yeah. In with one game. Essentially.
0: With 3, Mass Effect 3.
1: Yeah, Andromeda. Well, Mass oh, Effect 3, Three was the one that really had ha, the, the well, but it sold well.
0: Well, the worst one always sells the best.
1: No, that's true.
0: This is the dark part of that's of so true reality. Yeah, the worst, the worst thing in a series inevitably is the most successful because it's the one that comes after the one that got everybody on board. Yeah, and so then you tell your friends. I'm so excited. I love Mass Effect 2.
1: And they all ask, Do I have to play the other ones? And you say, It would Mm. be probably a good idea, but you know what? Just get this one and see if you like it. Yeah, they can't screw it up. (laughs) They've made two already, they know exactly what they're doing. They
0: wouldn't turn the space parts into some stupid Pac Man game. (laughs) Anyway, Mm. uh, so that's happening and, and it makes us sad. Matt, did you play any video games?
1: I did. Um, I wanted to talk about this last time, but we ran out of time. Uh, I played Nier Automata for the PlayStation Four. Automata. 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 Actually, it might be Automata. It probably is Automata. Anyway, Nier. (laughs) Nier Automata. Automata. Um, This is a game by uh, Square Enix, published by Square Enix, developed by Platinum, which we have a rocky relationship with.
0: We like Vanquish.
1: We really like Vanquish. We really liked Metal Gear Rising. We like Metal Gear Rising: Revengeance. I sometimes think about how fun that game was and wish I had an easy way to play it. I do. Do you have the? Do you think we could get a copy on Xbox again? I have the disc. 360. Oh, you do? Yeah. All right. Well, maybe we'll do that. I
0: have a 360 and the disc. We got everything
1: we need. Wait, does that play? It? Does it run on the <sighs> Xbox One? It might. Anyway, anyone out there worth checking out? Lots of platinum games. Not yeah. all of them, though. No. Not all of them. Bayonetta is over. I don't like Bayonetta as much as you do. I don't like Bayonetta. Oh, okay. Then I like it even less. than don't like it. I don't. I, I hate it. I loathe it.
0: I really don't like Bayonetta. Okay. Everybody talks like Bayonetta is awesome, and I don't understand it at all.
1: Um, Bayonetta is a little bit outside my... Area of expertise. Anyway, anyway, this game is uh directed by Yokotaro, who's the guy who's done um the original Nier game, which doesn't seem to really relate to this one at all, and so far as I can tell. I guess that there are some kind of like loose mm-hmm. like collection. Do things. I
0: need to play the other ones in the series?
1: I wondered. <laughs> um, and he made the Dragon Guard games, which are I'm probably mispronouncing that, but they're basically you play as like a sexy medieval. Man or woman who, uh, depending on whether it's one through three, who just like kind of button mashes their way to victory with dragons somewhere in there. That sounds pretty good. <laughs> it's not, but the thing is that it is not like super. It's not super satisfying. If you've played God Hand, it does not feel good anymore. Uh oh. Yeah. Um, Anyway, Neuro Automata is this game. It's about uh, these two androids who are kind of embroiled and mixed up in this war between the androids who are fighting on behalf of the humans who live on the moon against the robots, all of whom are, like, these little brown dome-headed, like, Miyazaki-ish. R2-D2 with legs? Yeah, R2-D2 with legs, but, like, filtered through Miyazaki animation and, like, super sweet despite having, like, violent red eyes. Okay. Um so you're killing a lot of these like kind of adorable little little robots, little dudes, little dudes. Uh, I mean, probably if if you've heard of Near Automata, then you probably don't need me to be explaining this to you because you probably are aware of most of this already. If you haven't heard of Near Automata, I don't know necessarily if it's worth listening to the rest of this podcast, but or skip ahead like ten minutes because like it's so complex and the things that Near Automata does well what
0: kind of game is it <laughs> like what is it is it like a um, devil may cry kind of action game it is, it
1: is a action i think the best way to describe it would be an an open world action rpg
0: it's open world game i thought it was like level based
1: no it is an open world game oh weird um which is to its advantage and deeply to its disadvantage <laughs> Uh but that 's not actually even the kind of game that it is. What it really is is like a psychomantis simulator. <laughs> this is a game that enjoys like kind of messing with your expectations like this is a very much like influenced by um the Metal Gear series, hugely so in so far as that it like it likes playing with your expectations and in some cases and then like hitting your expectations and beating dumb themes over your head over and over and over again in the way that Metal Gear Solid does, like in the anime trope kind of way. Mm. Like this is very much like, to begin with, this is a game that is too anime and too like fetishistic of its female anime characters for me to ever really like all that much. Yeah,
0: you can't take it seriously.
1: Yeah, even when it really is begging you to take it seriously. Um, And it begs you to take it seriously quite often. But as a result, it's best when it's not begging you to take it seriously and when it's kind of, like, playing with you and having fun with you. And so the game is at its best when it does stuff like, um, say, having 26 different endings, one okay. for each letter of the alphabet. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, in order to really beat the game, you technically have to play it four times. And you done Three or potentially four times. I played it three times, and I'll get to the th- why I didn't play it the fourth time okay. in a minute. Um, the first round through takes about 10 hours, and you finish it, and you say, like, that was a game that didn't have super great combat, but was satisfying enough, and the story didn't make a whole lot of sense, but there was some really cool visual shit. The um, time you start it up again, it's immediately different. You're playing as a different character. You're playing as the secondary character from the, from the first story. Um, it should be said that there are going to be some spoilers here, but I'm not going to spoil anything too major. And it does this really neat thing um, at the beginning of the second game. After that, op- you play through the opening section from the perspective of a, of a secondary character. And then um, what you end up doing is that you have to go and help the main character reboot their system because they're an Android. And rebooting the system is essentially just uh, just going into the menus and making adjustments. And it does this like very... Uh, what's that term, diegetic sort of thing where, like, the menus in the game are the actual Android menus. Okay. So if you hit pause, you are actually going into your internal, like, like operating, operating system. the operating system for the robot. Yeah. So the very, in the first playthrough, you are asked to go through the main character's, like, operating system to, like, kind of, like, check up on things and, and make sure that um, you're, you know how to adjust the difficulty and the brightness and et cetera. And it tells you that it's going to record it. So it's like, just so you know, we're going to record this for posterity, something that I totally forgot. When you go play through the second time, because you're experiencing the exact same story but from a different perspective, you are the character helping the main character adjust their operating system. And so you don't get to move around. You don't get to, to like, <laughs> interact with the operating system. You have to watch the video
0: oh. of the first
1: time you did it. And, of course, I remember doing this the first time. I had, I had like gone into the menu and adjusted some things and i got up to get some water Uh and so there's a point when i'm watching this video and the cursor is literally just sitting there for like a full minute whoa and i was like why isn't it moving and then i realized it was because i'm watching a video of the first time i engaged with with the operating system and so it's like this kind of confusing very difficult to explain but like fun little like that's cool that is cool sort of moments. i like that yeah
0: is it a lot of like fourth wall breaking kind of nonsense like that
1: if you would call that fourth wall breaking then yes and i would say that that's sort of fourth wall breaking certainly it is like it's innovative and it's it's neat and you know that someone had a cool idea and they implemented it and they were like yeah and then (laughs) they're like let's collect some other great ideas like this because they appear every so often and i don't really want to like I don't want to spoil too many of them because there are people for whom this game would be a very fun game. If you are into fan service, for instance, then and I don't want to yuck you, someone else's gun. You young, like
0: sexy anime ladies. Yeah,
1: then like this is definitely a game for you. Okay. Um if you uh if you don't mind somewhat like this combat I think is probably best described as what Final Fantasy 15 wished its combat felt like.
0: Mm. It's like snappy, but sort of weightless. It's
1: very snappy, very fluid, but relatively weightless. Yeah. And like one of the bigger problems is that there is like a parry in it, but the parry is like way too slow for the rest of the combat. <laughs> and it's the same parry every single time, no matter what the attack coming at you is. Okay. um And it's just like the parry is unsatisfying, and so you don't want to parry because it's like slows down the the parry shouldn't slow down the like rate of combat. Yeah, they
0: should ramp it up in a it weird should, way. Yeah.
1: It, it, and so it's not it's definitely not animation priority like Dark Souls you can like snap in and out of pretty much any action that you are doing at any given time it's very fast so it's fun in its own way um and also it should be said that there's actually a lot of top down shooting in this as well so there's a lot of like Ikaruga style shooting but like that's all bullet hell kind of things bullet hell but like way too easy okay. um just like way too simplified and you get overpowered at a certain point but this is all aside from the fact that, like, it is, like, a very story-oriented game with tons of side quests. Um, some of the side quests are somewhat interesting. And the main themes of the story, like, are about kind of, like, what is humanity, et cetera, et cetera. The main character's name is 2B, as in... No, I get it. As in, yeah. Macbeth. <laughs> uh, In any case... <laughs> Um, it's like <laughs> so the end result is definitely like interesting. It's it for me, it wasn't necessarily like thirty hours interesting, which is how long it took to play. And as a result, after I um because it really kicks up after you finish ending two. There's there are multiple points in this game where you were like, am I watching a delayed title sequence or is this the end credits? That sounds pretty good. And that's also like, and it's like clear that they know, like they know that they are mixing things up in that way and it's very clever um, in that regard and it can be pretty satisfying too. But like those are fleeting satisfactions for what it ends up being a 30 hour game. Um, And it does pick up at a certain point, the story like really ramps and like it does some sort of exciting things, but nothing that it, pulls off this trying to make you feel deep empathy with robots or androids never really works Mm. um so you did not leave this wanting to
0: buy a robot girlfriend no Hmm. the pillow would get jealous okay
1: i get it (laughs) we all have to manage expectations so but i mean like it came down to like i got the um I got the third ending and then the credits ran and i was just like i've already put like 30 hours into this game do i really want to get the fourth ending and i just looked it up on youtube (laughs) okay (laughs) yeah um so yeah there's not like as far as like the philosophy of what it means to be a human being and what what consciousness is and what sentience is none of it really lands it asks big questions but it doesn't actually have sort of like either the nuanced character writing or even a consistency of like understanding about or like it doesn't ever establish within this world what sentience is and there are moments when like a character is like no don't shut down you'll lose like your consciousness or who you are as you exist and i was like i don't really understand the rules of this world because every time i die shouldn't i lose that consciousness. I don't know. Do you come back at the same spot or it has, again, it's like death is built into, into like the way the game works. But then there's, even though there's like, it's diegetic, I guess you could say, even though that like death is built into the way the game works for some reason, if someone dies in a cutscene. They don't get they restored. Are they are actually <laughs> yeah. dead
0: then. They're cutscene dead. Yes,
1: exactly. Yeah. Um, And so it becomes sort of frustrating there because if you want to build a very carefully wrought world in which androids and robots are different things, then you also maybe need to like establish what the differences between these things are. Right.
0: That totally makes sense. And that's a really difficult thing, I think. Once you start doing a lot of clever stuff with the idea of sentience, like... You end up in a lot of corners like that, probably. Yeah, it's like
1: time travel. Um, yeah. And it's difficult, especially to do in a, in a media like this. But, man, it's a. there's some really good-looking parts. This game reminds me also of the fact that, like, sometimes when you just do, like, beautiful all-white backdrops that are just, like, like, like these cities that just are constructed exclusively of, like, monochrome colors and, like, stuff like that. It's just... It's real cool. And there are a few moments where you're like, am I... Is this, like, what, what I'm experiencing? Like, is this really... Is this really something that somebody signed off on <laughs> in both a good and a bad way? <laughs> um, that sounds good. I yeah. like that kind of stuff. There's, yeah, th- it's, 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 it's interesting. It's just not for me. wasn't 30 hours interesting.
0: Yeah, it sounds like you're kind of surprised it got made, though, which I think is always a good
1: feeling. Yeah. And so to a degree, I'm very happy that it did well. Yeah, that's cool. Because I think that, that if it allows other people to take more risks, that's a positive thing. Awesome. Yeah.
0: So what else have you been playing?
1: Uh, I started playing XCOM again. <laughs> the first one? No, XCOM 2. Sorry. Okay. I, it was one of those things where, like, I had to go to a movie, and I um had uh three hours before the movie, and I was like, well, I also had to do some writing, but I'll play some XCOM for an hour first. Anyway, I was almost late to the movie. <laughs> <laughs> that never happens. And, like, I've gone in. I, I'm, I'm pretty deep in at this point. You know what's a great game? XCOM? XCOM. XCOM 2 also you know it's really broken and has crashed on me twice. Oh, in 3 hours? Uh no, not in 3 hours. This was I started playing it last weekend. Okay. So it's crashed on me twice in probably like 5 hours. Mm. Uh XCOM 2. Okay. Yeah. Uh but boy is it like it's so good. It's so so good. I'm I it, I'm beginning to question like certain aspects of why I enjoy playing it. Like the addictive quality of mm. one more turn one more move uh-huh um and i'm also questioning why i don't just play on iron man because although i i allow myself to only reload once per mission i then inevitably break that but, <laughs> and i have broken it like twice oh you gotta play point.
0: it you gotta play it on the hardcore mode
1: yeah, I mean, I am playing it on the second to hardest difficulty, which the PlayStation trophies tell me only 2% of all players have ever completed. But it's a little bit, it's gotten to the point where I'm kind of, it's too easy. Oh So I'm a little overpowered a little cocky. and I'm just like cleaning up. But, um, and that's when I start to wonder, like, is it fun when you just go in and clean up in missions? Like, do we play XCOM for things to fall apart or do we play XCOM to, to perfect it? And I've always been of the school that, like, we play XCOM to let things fall apart, but then I get disappointed with my inability to just let things fall apart.
0: That's really interesting.
1: I, I just saw
0: there's a piece that the director of XCOM 2 uh, wrote about the uh, Mario vs. Rabbids game. Oh, really? Which is like XCOM yeah. uh, in appearance, but he talks about how it's actually like a puzzle game. There's one solution to the mission. Oh, okay. And it's kind of about, like, what can I learn from this? You know, like it's a different way of thinking about the same sorts of mechanics and how I think that there's an element there where he's grappling with that same issue. Cause the freedom of XCOM allows it to fall apart, but there's a way that's perfect through it. And you want the player to feel like they found the perfect way while still allowing for the moment when it feels like it's falling apart.
1: Yeah. I've, I've like only lost one guy this entire time mm. because I just have not like I've used that one mm-hmm. reload, or in this, in a couple cases like two reloads in order to bring my guys back, and it's just it's kind of made me overpowered towards the end game, and it just makes me feel like I'm being disingenuous in some way.
0: I mean, you're kind of cheating.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. But I think that everyone cheats at XCOM to the I degree that they're comfortable with. <laughs> to yeah. And I am outside my comfort zone, and so I guess I'll just have to start it over again and play <laughs> one more time. It's the only way. Anyway, XCOM Two is a really great game. If you like Mario versus rabbits, what's it? Mario and rabbits? I don't know. Mario eats rabbits. Mario and the rabbits. It's a great cover. Mario man. is rabbit. Mario is rabbit. <laughs> oh man.
0: Oh, that'd be a pretty good game. You gotta,
1: you gotta like. We need someone with some Photoshop abilities to like recreate the the cover of Mario is missing, but please, with like froth on the map. Please
0: mouth. write us and Photoshop that for
1: us, audience members. Please do. Anyway, um, XCOM Two is a really great game. It's pretty cheap now. If you ever want to pick it up, it's buggy. as all shit. But if you want to play it on PC and or Mac, I bet it's a lot better. Um, I've seen videos. I've and heard it looks real like it doesn't mess up all. on the Mac. Oh really? Yeah. I
0: heard it crashes a lot.
1: Yeah, it's a uh, I don't it has trouble with them numbers. So Bob, those are the things that I've been playing. What have you been playing? <laughs> uh
0: so I've been playing two things. I've been playing the life game of organization.
1: Uh Not fami- you late. might
0: be familiar with uh the KonMari organizational method. This is the uh Japanese lady who says you should organize your life by holding things and deciding whether or not they bring you joy and you only keep the things that bring you joy. And then you organize those things in a way that they are always visible to you. So you change the way you fold things so that nothing gets stacked really. Um, and what that means is that you're constantly aware of what you own. Right. And so it makes you very organized because you're like, well, you don't
1: stack clothing.
0: No, you fold them all in this way where they're like vertical. So you can oh, always yes. see them. Okay.
1: Yeah, I've seen that in uh, lots of it's houses. It's really
0: awesome. I'm enjoying it. So I've been doing that for about a week and going through all my stuff. And uh, one of the things I went through was my collection of video games, which I alphabetized and organized. And I threw away one video game. I want you to guess what it was. What does not bring me joy out of my entire collection with the knowledge that I kept gun on the GameCube?
1: Oh, this is going to be a tough one.
0: It was a PS2 Kane, game.
1: That's your clue. And it's not Kanan Lynch.
0: No, I kept Kanan Lynch too.
1: <laughs> no, that brings you
0: joy. Uh, it brings me joy because it's so fucked up and I never want to touch it again, but I yeah. like that it exists. So
1: it's a PS2 game. PS2 game. Um, not Temple of Dogarak. That's not on the PS2. Yeah. That's how I know it's not Temple of Dogarak. <laughs> I'll never throw that away. And it's digital. Yeah. Um, I honestly have no idea. It's God of War 2. Fuck that game. I would never have guessed that. It's a terrible video game. It's a nihilistic
0: game. Yeah, it's a bad game for bad people made by a bad person. Um, yeah, so anyways,
1: I got rid of God of War 2 because fuck that game. What would you and do with it? What do you mean by God of War I put it, it in it? the garbage can. Why didn't you just like light it on fire? That would be pretty cool. We should have done that. You should have put that outside and run over it with a truck. <laughs> I don't have a truck. I, did I tell you about the time that I found like a scratched up third of a Borderlands disc? <laughs> 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 it just, all you could see was the dude with the, like the the fingers yeah, to the his fingers head and i was just like yeah bro i hear you i get <laughs> it
0: um so in this purge of my house and just cleaning and organizing i found a book that i got uh several years ago which is called go and go moku it's by a dude named Ed, i think it's edward lasker and he wrote it in like the 1930s and it's about the ancient chinese board game go uh a game that is like 2,500 years old and which started in China, went to Japan and is now, a lot of the top pros come out of South Korea, but it's very big in Asia. Um, and it's this board game, you've probably seen it where the it's like a grid, it's a big grid of uh, squares and then you play these little white and black circles on the grid. Um, and your goal is just to kind of capture each other's stones and capture territory on the grid. Um, I had always wanted to play this game and I got this book that this dude wrote in like nineteen thirty. <laughs> several years ago at a used bookstore like i'm gonna learn to play go and then i was quickly rebuffed because go is fucking insane um and especially playing it against computers at like learning sizes it's very difficult to understand what's happening or how it's being scored or how to learn even
1: what's a learning size what do you mean by that
0: uh sorry the grids that you can play this game on can be basically any odd numbered size oh really so it could be like yeah, so the the main th- sizes that people play it at are like 9x9, nine, 13x13, nine, nine nine, 13 13, and then pros play 19x19. 19 19.
1: That's fascinating, actually, by comparison to... I mean, the idea of playing chess on a bigger board well, would be sort of interesting. It's kind of like that, that game Bad Chess. Right. Yeah, where it just mixes up the pieces. Yeah. That, but obviously Go is, is a very different game than chess, I assume. Yeah, what well, Go has going for it...
0: <laughs> <laughs> I accept. Um, what, what this game, what makes this game weird and extremely complex, is that unlike chess or really any other game where it's like checkers and you set up on either side of the board, in this game you are able to put your piece anywhere on the board at any time, basically with mild limitations. Um, and there's no starting position that's mandated, so you can just do whatever you want. Uh, And that might be good, and that might be bad. And that makes it insanely complex, especially given that there are 19 times 19 possible moves on the board at any given time when you start the game.
1: How much is 19 by 19 times 19? I want to say it's like 381. That sounds close enough. Let's try it. We're bringing bringing out the calculator. Where's the TI-83? Siri,
0: what is 19 by 19? 361 is the number. The number is 361. Uh, so there's 361 potential moves when you start a game of Go.
1: Who gets to go first?
0: Uh, black goes first, and then white goes second. White gets a uh, bonus, because there is an advantage to being a first mover. So it's, it's extremely complex, right? And it's much more complex, like mathematically, certainly, and you could argue strategically, than a game of chess, in that apparently programs of chess will uh, regularly have like 80 moves. And a pro game of Go will have like 300 to 400. Uh, Well, can't have 400. (laughs) Uh, But it'll have like 300 moves. Um, So it's a lot. Uh, And there's a lot of potential in any given moment to do something that will pay off way down the line. Um, It is very hard to explain Go. But what has been happening now is I've gotten online and I'm playing Go against other people and I'm learning and I'm watching videos and I have very rapidly just been, oh, wait, Go is the coolest game ever. And there are a couple of reasons for that. And the main one is that it is insanely simple. Uh, it looks complex when you see completed Go games. But if you start playing it against other people of equivalent skill level, it makes a lot of sense. And it makes sense in a way that my favorite video game of all time, Tetris, does. That's your favorite video game of all time? I think it's the best video game of all time. Well, so.
1: that's different than your okay, favorite. Okay, it's probably... Yeah. Okay, it's the best. I would agree that it is the best.
0: So why, why is Threes Tetris... gives it a run
1: for its money. okay. <laughs> Why is Tetris the best video
0: game of all time? And for me, the answer is that you are fulfilling a fundamental, simple rule where you go, oh, there's a space down there. I'm going to fill in that space. And you just do it, right? Mm-hmm. There's like a natural understanding there. And the only rule of Tetris is the piece falls and you can put it wherever you want. And then once you put it, it doesn't move, right? And if it makes a row, it goes away. Like there's two rules. Go is also a game that only has two rules. Um, and so the the rules are like, based around the idea that when you place a stone, it has to have what are called liberties. It gets very complex in terms of explaining this without a diagram, but if you look up the rules to Go, you'll realize that there are very simplistic rules that govern how it works, but the actual implementation of those rules can become very complex. Mm -hmm. So I'm loving it. I'm playing Go on online-go.com.
1: So I guess... OGS. This actually is... My question is and I don't mean this facetiously, but what platforms is it on?
0: Uh, so it, there are multiple places you can play it online. It seems like the best place for beginners is where I play it, which is online-go.com. And
1: that's in a browser. You're playing it in a yeah, browser.
0: Yeah, I'm playing it in a browser. Uh, there's also KGS, but it seems like KGS, which is a different browser-based place to play it, is more pro-level people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the the big news in Go is that two years ago in 2016 google built an ai that beat a person and people generally speaking thought that wasn't going to happen for another decade hmm. and it's scary um this ai which is called AlphaGo, it's really messed up and when i say a person i mean they beat a person who is a nine don which is the highest rank in go champion named lisa dole who's uh he's south korean and he's like one of the best Go players who
1: has ever lived. Why do you say it's scary?
0: So, I am not at the level where I can understand what is happening in these AlphaGo games, right? Yeah. Because it's it is like somebody, it's like a human being trying to communicate with an ant in terms of the complexity. But if you watch commentary, but an ant
1: who, or a human being and an ant, but I mean, or a god and a and a, and a human being, but the god is only good at one thing.
0: Well, I assume. Sort of. Well, it depends. It's a very strange thing because this game has been played for 2,500 years. Yeah. And there's been a lot of evolution in how it's played, right? And very, very intelligent people have <laughs> spent a lot of time thinking about the best way to play things. And it has a lot of, like... There's a lot of thinking around, like, how to play out certain sections of a Go board, especially in the opening, which is what are called joseki. So you and I would be here, and we'd be like... Well, we're starting a go game. And I play a piece. And in the same way that there's that idea of the chess having a book where there's a certain point in every chess game that goes off book. But up until that point, that exact chess game has been played before. Yeah. There's an equivalent sort of thing here where it's like there's Joseki. And you and I both know a lot of Joseki because we're pros. And we go, well, we both know that I'm going to start this opening here. And You could do something else, but for both of us to probably get the best out of this, this has been played so many times that we both know what will get us the best outcome. It's impossible for either of us to, like, innovate on this, right? Yeah. AlphaGo trained itself initially by, they uploaded a bunch of online Go games into it, and then they had it play itself again and again and again. And then they had it play against a guy who is a pretty high-ranked uh, pro Go player, and he lost. Mm-hmm. And then they had it play Lisa Dole, and he lost. And
1: Did, he just, did they play one game? No, or they did played best of five. Of five? And he won one game.
0: Okay. And the crazy thing, there's, if you're curious about, like, why, why is this so alarming to Go people? Um, everybody thought like, it would be very programmatic in the way that it played. Then in the second game against Lisa Dole, you can look this up. There's move 37. And it does this move that's not like a totally crazy move, but it's a move that if you were a computer, you it seems like a computer should never do it. Mm. And it was so weird that Lisa Dole got up from the table and like left the room. because <laughs> uh, it oh, was this so, is good drama. Yeah, it's dude, it's wild. Yeah. Because it's something that like implies that the computer is being very creative in yeah. a way that people did not expect. AlphaGo does not play go like people play it. That, and it's really alarming. If once you start to like follow this and you're like watching videos where people are talking about AlphaGo relative to normal play, yeah. You can sit down with a room of people that are good at go and be like, "All right, so we're in this situation, what do you do?" And everybody will be like, "Well, obviously you want to do this." And it's like AlphaGo never does that. Yeah. AlphaGo does this and you'll be like, "That seems like a weak move."
1: But people can now potentially learn from AlphaGo.
0: Yes, but here's where it gets messed up. AlphaGo plays moves that people would consider kind of childish, like very simplistic moves. Yeah. And if you talk to the people that program AlphaGo, they say AlphaGo just wants to win. It doesn't care by how much. And it wins a lot of its games because they've unleashed it on like KGS, like these online Go things, against just pros, like in secret. And it always wins. But it wins a lot of the games by half a point, because AlphaGo doesn't need a cushion. Yeah, it just wins.
1: It's so sure of itself, and
0: it plays progressively dumber moves when it's confident. And what's scary is that it plays dumb moves by like move three. And so what it does this is, is it, <laughs> so here's where it gets here's where it's super messed up. Yeah, AlphaGo plays moves that you and I, as people, would consider bad because it knows it won't make mistakes. Yeah. Whereas people build in a cushion. And so, so you and I play, and we're like, well, I could move somewhere else. But something might go wrong, so I need to... So I need, need to, to shore cushion. this yeah. up. AlphaGo will play two stones, and then just continue to play as though it already won the corner.
1: Yeah, because it is, th- it is 300 moves ahead. It doesn't care. You should start a Go podcast called 300 Moves Ahead. <laughs> Except that it would have to be me and a robot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, Near <Autobots. laughs> uh That sounds pretty, that's pretty, pretty interesting. I'm actually much more interested in this AlphaGo thing than I am the regular Go thing. It's
0: so fascinating, and Go is so cool, and I'm loving it, and I, I, I kind of went off on a tangent there, but AI is at a place that I never expected it to be, and once you start to think about how far ahead Google is of where people thought they could be or where anybody thought you could be with Go, and then secondarily, the idea that we thought it would take longer because we thought it would have to play like us. Yeah. You're like, oh no, and then you feel ill.
1: And it's interesting that this would come out with something like Go as opposed to Deep Blue, just because of the nature of Go too.
0: I I think that maybe this shook the chess world in the same way, but I think the lack of relative obviously i'm terrible at chess and never will be
1: good relative complexity the relative complexity
0: of it makes this a little bit more alarming
1: oh yeah no i I mean it strikes me as much more alarming and i know almost nothing about go but i understand i understand abstractly the complexity of go as opposed to chess and the idea that a computer is able to do this and not in the way that we predicted that
0: that's it it's like it's not like this thing is replicating things that other players have done throughout history yeah like, you can go, well, it's doing this, which this guy in the 40s kind of liked doing, but it's not actually doing what that dude did because he made mistakes. So even if that guy played yeah. against AlphaGo, AlphaGo wins.
1: In any case. And on that note. What was your favorite thing of the week, other than, uh, other than Go and tidying up? Uh,
0: the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel.
1: I just watched the first episode of that last night. Uh, so this is a show. It's on Amazon. Yeah. Uh, Amazon
0: Prime. And it's by the writer of Gilmore Girls, and it is terrific. Do you like Gilmore Girls? Uh, I've actually never sat down and watched it. I, okay. I'd be curious to do it now. The rhythm of it always was, like, almost too much for me to handle. It's so fast.
1: Yeah, it is. Um, and
0: Marvelous Mrs. Maisel has a little bit of that. And now that I've watched that, I'm really in the groove. So I feel like I should go back and watch Gilmore Girls.
1: I really liked it. Um, I'm, I do like Gilmore Girls a lot. Uh, as someone who began watching it because an ex-girlfriend was watching it, and then has now watched it since on my own as well, yeah, <laughs> all the way through, um, I really like Gilmore Girls. I liked I liked the marvelous Miss Maisel. I only saw the first episode. The thing that I kind of missed was the back and forth rapid. rapid there was some of that, and I just hope that I was hoping that there'd be some of that going in because really the thing that it points out in the first episode is that like no one can quite keep up with her.
0: Yeah. So this is a show about a woman uh, who becomes a stand-up comic. Um in now I'm forgetting what year it is. What year is it? Like nineteen fifty three? Yeah, it it's like mid fifties. Yeah. But uh don't be off put by the terrible font choice for the title card. It's a great show. And it's really funny. Tony shaloub crushes it in this show. I love him. Yeah, this is
1: what I have heard. Uh, he's yeah. so
0: good. Everybody's so good in it. She won the Golden Globe for Best Lead in a Rachel show. Brosnahan
1: or something? That might Fresh be her name, but blah, 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 blah,
0: she's blah, blah, blah. terrific. It's so good. Yeah. I really love it. What was your thing?
1: Uh, Just dogs. Oh, dude, I love dogs. Yeah, I love dogs. What too. kind of dog? Just any dog. Oh, okay. I just love dogs. Do you have a favorite? Oh, they're all dead. And on that note... <laughs> on that note, actually... If you like this show, rate and review us on iTunes.
0: And or send us something so that we can talk about it on the show.
1: But also, actually, do rate and review us on iTunes. It's something that I've never done for a podcast, um, but I intend to do this week because it would actually make a difference for us. We currently don't have enough reviews or ratings to have it appear. But uh,
0: that'd be awesome. That would be really sweet. We are so thankful that you listen, and it's really cool. Yeah, thanks, Mom. Bye.